ain't gonna be part of the greatest, I gotta be the greatest myself. Come on, come on, yeah, come on. Yeah, nigga, what? What a surprise. Give you something, make a nigga close over your eyes. All my niggas getting money capitalized. Die, little small guy, we on the rise. Everything a nigga touch, platinumized. Full of your crib, you know we coming all our supplies. Got a big gun and I'ma show you the size. You fuck with any of my flip mode family ties. Me and my niggas be coming through, stroking you out. Killing off any and everything you're talking about. See you in the club, now we walking you out. Should have thought twice before you went and opened your mouth. Yo, anyway, we stay keeping it moving. Oh yeah, typical warning, I live by a fire station, and uh, yesterday when it recorded, it was quiet until like the last 20 minutes of of, of us recording. <laughs> and then you suddenly had to go put out a fire. Pretty much. <laughs> you were secretly a firefighter this entire time, and you didn't even let us know? You just hear uh, the microphone hit the table, and then Spencer go down the pole. Then we have to take over the entire show. Like, ooh, the awkwardness. But you're saving lives, and that's what that's what matters. Uh, yeah. I know the awkward I... moment at the end of this episode where both Spencer and Joel are gone. <laughs> <laughs> it's no longer your podcast, Spencer. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, welcome back to what is this show called again? <laughs> yeah, actually, I know one of the firefighters, kind of, but uh, I don't really. Only through my job, but it's kind of one of those things where it's like, am I supposed to say hi when I see them? Or is kind of like, no. big, like, wave? I actually have, there's a fire station near me, it's like right down the street. Um, they always pass by, especially in the evening, so. They, they go too fast, I have no time to wave at them, so there's no point. <laughs> Hands name it up yet, and they're already gone. Yeah, it's like, forget it. Okay. Yeah. I, I guess whether or not you should say hi to them as they pass comes down to whether or not you are, in fact, an arsonist. Maybe, or maybe I'll just find the firefighters just hot and I have to take a chance. Well, I mean, <laughs> I get no say. argument for me. I have to say hi. I have <laughs> they to don't make do mailman those. calendars. You know, they do turn and look, so I'm like, might as well take my chance. Just say hi. <laughs> Good luck. I've been, I've been told by someone I live with uh, that I have a mailman butt, which apparently is a good thing. <laughs> There's well, a mailman. Well, yeah, I mean, you're, you're, you get your, the legs and the glutes are constantly picking up heavy things and walking around. So that makes sense. I've never paid attention yeah. to that on a mailman. Now I have oh, it's to. true. Like, I, I got some stems on me. <laughs> oh, no. See, now, now, I gotta, now I'm going to be more distracted on my way to class looking at mail people <laughs> passing all the mail. Like, do they <laughs> Just have walking a physique? the whole route behind that guy. Because <laughs> we know firefighters have a, have a you know physique and i always look at that but mailman i mean i don't want to look at that because my dad used to be a mailman maybe that's why i try to have like an aversion i don't want to look at that oh, but yeah, now that like... might that might open up a whole can <laughs> yeah. that's like that but that's I like want... none of my business you know I, I can tell you from my experience being a mailman for 16 years that there's a wide variance on uh, body shapes there <laughs> is there is a wide variety because it comes down to like you know what kind of route you have uh what kind of food is around you know, because mm -hmm. some mailmen have to eat Burger King every day, and that that guy does not have a good butt. <laughs> fascinating. Very He's getting his burgers worth for sure, and it's not. <laughs> it's not um, working. One of my neighbors, <laughs> one of my neighbors is is one of the firefighters, not the one I kind of know, but he just had a baby with his, I guess, wife. I'm not <laughs> sure, but they have a a, a pet dog that, uh, Frey Frey used to play with, but now he's kind of big and he's like twice her size so it's not as cute as it used to be <laughs> yeah Freya's little she's only like 30 pounds oh my god anyway yeah so this is 
I'll get the name right this time, Dark Habits and a Motivar podcast. I get it right when Joel's not here. <laughs> nope. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, He's your monkey paw. Exactly. This is season four. Uh, we have, I'll, I mean, I've announced it a lot lately. And uh, we have, there will be a season five and then I'm done. And oh, if someone else no. wants, wants to take over, that's fine. But I don't want to keep doing this shit for forever. <laughs> I, I want an end point. Wow, this is news <laughs> to me. <laughs> You're getting too old for this shit. You're tired. But, uh, <laughs> is there because a plan for season five in place? Uh, yeah, uh, Joel knows it. And uh, I think one other person knows because of a movie. They uh, Some people I know would pick a certain movie for the season. I had to tell them. Save that for next season. So uh, like a good couple of years. But well, I, th- I think I've appeared on each season, so I hope I end up on five before you hang it up. Me too. We have to figure out a big musical to end it. Uh, yeah, five is gonna be Yeah, that's too far ahead, but I don't know how I'll fit musicals into that one. Mm-hmm. There's at least one. But only one. Yeah. I can think of offhand. But yeah, well, I know uh, you don't want to spoil it, so let me know off mic after this is over what, <laughs> what you're planning. I will. Yeah, well, or whatever it is, I'm open to be part of it. Yeah, yeah it continues our Richard Gear theme, oh, thankfully, because okay. that's kind of the most important thing is make sure I could, we can fit uh, one more Richard Gear into a season. <laughs> I, I'm totally fine with that. Richard Gear is amazing. Yeah, and uh, 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 coming up, we're going to record the first of two Richard Gere episodes this season on American Gigolo, which uh, I hope we get naked gear. We I, I, in Breathless, the gear version, you get naked Richard Gere. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping I'm... you get that in okay. American Gigolo, but I'm I'm not sure. I still need to see that. <laughs> it's great. I'm, I'm making better... it. I will see it this summer. Once the quarter's order, I will see it. It's good Breathless, better than Godard. That's well, tough. most things are better than Godard. No, I like I like Godard though. Okay. I know. Take... I know. It's unpopular. I don't like. It's. I can't sing Godard. He's just annoying to me. I understand. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yes. Yeah, so this is the second musical episode. Uh, Bobby from Grindbin, uh, you're making your debut for the season. Absolutely happy to be here. Ready to go to hell with Madam Satan. <laughs> and as always, Alexandria's here because that's the law around here. <laughs> Even. For the possible cats episode we might do, depending <laughs> if I feel like <laughs> suffering through that. Well, thank you for having me. And if we're gonna do cats, I will go in it with a brave face. Let's we'll do it. Yeah. So this is Madam Satan, a nineteen thirty pre-code musical that I never heard of until last November when uh someone someone on the show a lot, Amanda. Uh, was I asked because Amanda knows all the pre-code stuff basically asked her it's like why are your favorite pre-code movies and this was one that came up and uh, and that title was like there can't be a 1930 Hollywood movie called Madam Satan that's crazy <laughs> and uh well she was right and uh, I, I overall I like it but it's still like it's like like the like the musical parts are very like the musicals of of the time, which is something I'm not fully used to. Mm-hmm. Do you like warbling, Spencer? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, uh, but since I, I guess I jumped into it. Uh, 
Uh, had you guys heard of this movie before I mentioned it? No. To you? To you guys? No. When you mentioned no. it before this episode um, started, I was like, I've never even like came across this. Whenever I look at like pre-code movies, like, what is this? <laughs> Honestly, same. I had not heard of it. Funny thing, though, I discovered as I was watching it for the first time, uh, I'd seen bits of this elsewhere. Hmm. Um, I'm a fan of the uh, Swedish occult rock band Ghost. Yes. And uh, they did a, a, mus- a music video for their song From the Pinnacle to the Pit, and they use footage from this movie all through it to kind of tell their own narrative. And that was really surprising. I was like, "Hold on a second, I've seen this." That's insane. I love when you do, when you used to, uh, come across stuff like that. I like me with the psycho theme because I knew it from the Busta Rhymes song that sampled in. That was the first psycho. time you heard the psycho theme. Yeah, in the Busta Rhymes song, and then I watched Psycho for the first time. I was like, "Holy shit, Busta Rhymes like producer didn't come up with that." <laughs> <laughs> I, I had no clue. That's my first time hearing that Buster Rhymes even did that. I'm like, what? Like, like I didn't know. It's <laughs> uh, how much one is it? It's one of like the early big hits. Okay. When he went solo. All right. Do you remember uh, the I, song? The video uh, is like the one. It's very cartoony, and it's like he's has like a. Yeah, it's like a live action cartoon. Is it like it's a tone of video? I just can't remember what the song is. I'm pretty sure it's that one. Okay. It's probably like the first album. Like it's like the like the very brief period where he was like on top, and then right before it kind of slid. It's like uh, his he kind of got a little for me. Like it got a little old after a couple albums. Okay, I think I found it. it's called "Give Me Some More." Is that the song? Oh, I love that. I'm pretty, sure it's, okay. I'm pretty sure it's that one. I have to check yeah. it out. I have never I never even made a sample of that. I don't remember the psycho theme being sampled in that, but I, I I mostly just remember the lyrics from that one. I was a big fan of that one back in high school. Oh yeah, I forgot you're old. I'm old as shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm turning forty in a couple months, and it's it's all over. This guy's washed. <laughs> Yeah, might as well go to hell with Madam Satan. That's right. I, at this point, <laughs> frankly, I'm I'm ready to get up on the Zeppelin. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, what did you? Uh, so, well, first off, Alexandra, but David, I, I always forget if I asked if I asked this before. Mm-hmm. What's your history with musicals in general? Oh, my history with musicals. Well, they definitely yeah. didn't include pre-code uh, musicals. I came way very way way later um no my kind of, i grew up with my mom and dad kind of introducing me to movies and my dad especially played me um various musicals from like mgm and um how like rogers and hammersteins like like the sound of music or even like the wizard of oz and of course you know the classic disney movies from the disney renaissance and so on and so forth and I was interested in theater and though at the time I didn't perform in musicals, um, they just weren't really creating as much. I kind of fell in love like watching musicals whenever I had a chance to go to a theater or just watch them on like PBS or just on television or whatever I could find online. So yeah, just got kind of got exposed to it when I was a kid and always loved musicals and just try to catch on to whatever will come out like Chicago and um, Rent got me inspired into watching musicals again from that era and um 
Yeah, that's kind of always been a thing. I always try to catch what's out there. Okay. Have you seen La La Land yet? I have not. And there's actually a reason for that because I remember Kareem Abdul-Jabbar wrote an essay about that. And there was like some type of criticism about like the jazz singer. I think I want to say John Legend was in it. I could be wrong, but um. Uh yes. Uh, yeah, it was like the portrayal kinda, of that era. Weird. Yeah, they said there was like a portrayal of that era that seemed like very um, tone deaf. So I kind of held off of seeing La La Land. It didn't really appeal to me, honestly, from the get go. Mm -hmm. But just reading that, it was like, mm, I think I'll just wait a little bit. It, it's. I think it, oh, the first the opening is great, mm -hmm. and then it's kind of like, oh, it's kind of just okay. Yeah, I and think it, it, it okay. has a problem of like, I don't think he talked to black people about this. Yeah, <laughs> I just, I feel like since, I feel like ever since like we left uh, that era of like Chicago, and then I remember when Wicked came out, and that was a major hit, and, you know, we did kind of get back into it with like Lim as a Rob having this movie, but... Yeah, I kind of felt, I feel like the whole musical thing kind of died off. So when La La Land came out, I wasn't that excited for it. Yeah, well, now Disney's brought it back with their live actions, which seems to be like the only ones coming out, at, seemingly, at this point. I'm willing to see The Little Mermaid only because, like, Haley's in it. I'm a fan of Chloe and Haley, and they're very talented. And it's not every day we get to see, like, a black woman play, like, a Disney princess. So I'm hoping that they learned from Princess and the Frog. Not that it was bad. It was fa it was fantastic. I love that. But I'm looking to see what they do with The Little Mermaid. And hopefully that'll be just as beautiful. Yeah, that's one of those, like, I'm not excited per se. But, like, if like if I was hanging out with, like, my partner's younger nieces and mm -hmm. it was on, I, I'd be like, yeah, this is fine. Let's watch this. Yeah, like, The Little Mermaid is actually not my favorite favorite of the disney renaissance it actually the character really annoys me but i'm willing to sit through it because Haley's playing it and i want to see what disney is gonna do now with the live action um take i I, rec I recommend the czech version because the czech version is from the era when czech um fantasy movies were fairy tales that are like the real version mm -hmm. which is deeply upsetting and fucked up i yeah i know the original tale of the little mermaid it is depressing as hell <laughs> like, and, like, shit. The, yeah, and there's a check beauty and the beast that is just kind of like i don't know the way you say it. it it feels a little rapey at times and it's mm. like deeply uncomfortable which is part of the point because that story is very creepy yeah and the Czech version does not hold back on like the weird creepy factor of it no uh, czech cinema is just that I really love how far they can take things. It like sorts of the surrealism. I love that. So um, it, I'll check that the, out. It, and the Beast is also the, like the, the Trek Beauty and the Beast is like, I think 70 minutes or 80 minutes. Mm -hmm. It's it's a, a pretty short runtime. Okay. And the Beast is not, not like Harry or like a wolf. It's kind of like a weird bird person. Oh. That's kind of gross to look at. <laughs> okay, you just won me back with that. <laughs> Now I'm curious. <laughs> Some weird zoobly zoo bird person. I'm in. Oh yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah. So, um, uh, Bobby, what's your history with musicals? Uh, you know, I have a uh, I have a musical theater background myself. I, I met my wife in uh, a musical in high school, and she 
showed me a million musicals throughout that time period. So I've, I've been a fan of that stuff. Uh, similarly, I've, I'm not really familiar with a lot of pre-code stuff, but, uh, but pretty much from the, uh, you know, forties, fifties on, I was, I was, I'm pretty on, on board with that stuff. I was the only kid in my high school who was going around telling everybody how great seven brides for seven brothers is and how they all need to watch it. <laughs> Very few listened as I'm sure you can imagine. But, uh, but yeah, still really into musicals myself. I got tickets to Beetlejuice for the summer. I'm pretty excited about that. Nice. And uh, so I was really excited to watch this. Cool. Yeah. Uh, have you seen much pre-code cinema uh, at all? Not really. No, this was a, this was a, a new pond to put a toe in for me. Uh, yeah, I've just recently started watching pre-code stuff. And so far, I kind of love it. It's it's just refreshing like all oh, these movies are genuinely weird and you see like the one i really like that we're that we're covering redhead woman is um just jane harlow being kind of like a, a gold digger bitch the whole time and all right it's great watching her just be like this mean horrible woman who's like i'm just gonna marry this man i can because so i can have money and it's great watching her just be horrible to people for 80 minutes <laughs> But, uh, Alexandria, have you seen much pre-code stuff? I have, um, considering how long that, that era kind of lasted. I guess you could say quite a bit. But musical-wise, no. You know, I've only seen, like, maybe, um, like, some of, like, the gangster type of films, mm -hmm. you know? Um, yeah, but nothing, like, nothing I would say, like, they really are, like, my favorite favorite. I don't think I have a favorite pre-code film but no, they no. but I, 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 I watched a couple and it's been pretty interesting like some of Marlene Dietrich I've seen like um like I've seen Public Enemy I've seen um Shanghai it was Shanghai Express I think that's what it's called and um a couple of others but yeah it's a really interesting time period to watch when it, uh, those that's a very interesting time period to um explore those films and what they were dealing with so but they were creative, you know, at the for the time. Um, that's the thing. I was like, even while watching Madame Satan, I was like, like even the costumes or like the, um, you know, or the makeup. I think that kind of, you know, um, interests me more than some of the storylines themselves. Yeah, yeah it's this was uh, is it Cecil or Cecil Demille? How do you Cecil B. Demille? Yeah, this is the first. Actually, yeah. player. I think this is the, this is the first movie by him I've knowingly seen. There <laughs> that might, you watched might on be purpose. a few others. Yeah. Yeah. yeah although it's 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 possible I've probably seen some other one and didn't even realize it. Yeah. Because like I really just I know the name just from like Tiny Toons and Babs Bunny. Mm -hmm. And the, the Make, quote uh, that everybody knows from childhood on. Yeah. Yeah. That it took me. I don't know, maybe till I was like 20, 21, until I learned like that was a person she's referring to. That oh. <laughs> Mr. DeMille uh, was a fictional yeah. character. Yeah, like, I mean, I was like five or six seeing this. Like, uh, why, why would I think that's a movie thing? That's just like a, a thing cartoon character says. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I don't think I've seen any of his films as other than the ten commandments yeah but that's okay, it. i have seen that because my mom 
obsessed yeah. with that movie. And I think I've seen, I've only seen parts of Cleopatra, but definitely seen the Ten Commandments, and that's all I've really seen from him. Yeah, that was just like the worst part of Easter every year was my mom being like, we're going to watch this. And I always like kind of check out after like half an hour every time. Same. It's so, I forget how long it is until, I, until it is around Easter. I'm like, oh, no. Now I just watched The Prince of Egypt because it's the same story. I mean, we get it. <laughs> really improved upon it there. Yeah. yeah in my, in my so household, it was uh, Ten Commandments only. Yeah, I ch- I changed the rules in, in my household. I'm <laughs> like, we're not doing this anymore. <laughs> it's I can't take the acting seriously because it's so dramatic. And um, I I love um, what's his name? Um, Yo Brenner. I love him so much, but I just can't deal with the uh, you know, Charles and Heston like you know, you know, solid. Yeah, you know that kind of dramatic yeah. acting. <laughs> And there are parts that I remember my mom would always quote along with the movie that as a as like as like a seven year old was like, This is so embarrassing. Even though no one was no one was there, it's like I can't I can't deal with this right now. <laughs> did you know he actually did embarrassing me to an empty room? Did you guys know he actually did two versions of the Ten Commandments? He did one in nineteen twenty three and then the one that we're talking about was the revamped one. Really? Yeah. Yeah, because I was like Wait, looking up. So I remember he did like he remade some of his other films. So I was like, I think this was it. I wanted to make sure, and it was. Yeah, I think the twenty three one is the one where a couple people died. Like, oh, really? in the making of it. In the making of it, yeah. I think Ooh. like there was a flood scene in You're John Wayne. Tablet. Oh, this was the one. <laughs> Maybe because there's an early movie with John Wayne appeared in, uh, where he's like an extra, where there's like a flood thing that happened and, mm. and um a, like a flood scene okay. and a couple people drowned and john wayne was in that scene and he and he made and he made it out i remember hearing about the story but i didn't know it was the ten commandments though at least not i can't remember story. which movie it is yeah it was like i actually watched a video about a video about it it was like lost media and they talked about that and i don't recall if it was the ten commandments or not but it was like an old mm. black and white film I know it's a silent era thing because mm-hmm. that back in is like early cinema is like, eh, like it's worse than Hong Kong in the eighties where it's like, well, someone might die, but who cares? Or Hong Kong is like, we can't have people die. That's that's a little too far. You can get you can break your leg in a, in a stunt, but the death is too far. Yeah, but no, um, yeah, in my house, uh, my dad used, would make us watch the Ten Commandments, and I'm just like, I'm gonna stick with the Prince of Egypt, and I haven't looked back since. I think you made the right choice. Yeah. Prince of Egypt's great, but I try to make Yul Brenner like the like the little pic, like it's a picture of him like looking at the wife, um, at, at his wife in the film with like a sarcastic look, and like that's just one of my favorite memes now because he has the best mm-hmm. facial expression. So that's all I can <laughs> of it now. Like some that like that movie like that is for me kind of not hard to watch now, but it's just like, yep, we're doing brown face and it's just that was just normal at the time and yeah. what well, at this point it's like yeah, I kind of just don't want to watch this shit like this anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but uh, yeah. So, Bam Satan is an early DeMille film that um, yeah, like so. 
no, no, actually, uh, so, uh, uh, Bobby, uh, what is the, if you summarize quickly, what is, exactly is the plot of Mab Satan? What is the movie about? You know, it's, uh, it's surprisingly simple, really. It's, uh, we have some, uh, very rich socialites, like, obscenely rich. We're talking, like, we're a tux at home rich, mm-hmm. uh, which I found pretty funny. And, uh, our, our main character, Kay, discovers that her husband, uh, our main character, Kay, that's our lead actress, our main character, Angela, uh, discovers that her husband, Bob, has been, uh, stepping out behind her back. And so she, you know, after a bit of a blow up with him, decides, you know, she does what anybody would do in this situation. She creates a persona of herself that will, uh, woo him back. And, uh, this all comes to a head on a massive costume party on a, on a Zeppelin up in the sky. And hilarity ensues. It's really that simple of a story. (laughs) Yeah, it turned into Titanic the musical, sort of. Yeah, I did not expect it to just suddenly veer left into disaster (laughs) movie toward the end. I was like, all right. It was like Titanic, (laughs) but in the sky. And I was like, what is happening right now? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they're pretty brave to be that high up in the air, just having a ball. I mean, I got to give them some credit, but... no, I can't do. I can never do that. <laughs> and, and that's more of that, uh, you know, rich to the point of parody. Mm-hmm. When our, uh, when our our comedic uh, cad best friend sidekick suddenly goes, "You're coming to my party on the Zeppelin, right?" <laughs> <laughs> and I lean forward like, "What?" <laughs> yeah, like the the beginning. Uh, uh, yeah, the beginning was strange because the implication I got was that really seemed to was hinted at was that the husband is more interested in his best friend than his wife mm-hmm. to the point that they shower together and are comfortable taking each other's clothes off in the, in the shower. Yeah, that yeah. was wild to me. <laughs> I was questioning that too, and I was like, because I had um I had to look the film up on Wikipedia. I was like, I wish of what this was about. And then when that scene happened, I'm like, did Wikipedia get it wrong? Because it's like, I mean, it's fine. I mean, if he's into men, that's great. But I was like, this was very eye-opening scene. <laughs> yeah, like, like five years later, that that a scene like that would not be accepted. Oh no, this, yeah. this, is, this is a very it, clear sign that we are pre-code right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and, and then like the husband, but really, I mean, are, are you really a, a friend if you're not gonna? help your drunk friend shower and disrobe i mean they are both drunk so it seems like they they, they seemed into it yeah. i think it's the fact that the shower is placed in the center of the bedroom <laughs> but like, it's very welcoming that way you're like well i might as well just do it right here in front of you uh, they seem like they they enjoyed each other's company i thought they were i thought they were lovers or something uh, in the beginning but i'm like oh okay well, friends can do that too that's fine and then you know what? It's funny that with with that vibe that these two guys give off, because our two uh, our two lady leads. Uh, when I was watching this with my wife, she's like, "So they end up together, right?" <laughs> <laughs> and that would have been a great ending, as everyone just pairs off with <laughs> in, in ways that you did not expect watching this movie. Yeah, it becomes the Riley Metzger movie score. But that that's a classic softcore film. It's very good, really funny. Does it have a zeppelin? Uh, no, but it has uh, That's my measuring older... stick now 
an older <laughs> couple and a younger couple who hook up and they pair off uh, the men or the men and a woman woman for the woman oh wow it's uh, it's a it's a good movie it's what's it called i was a uh, score score from 1973 it's it's a good intro to like see if you're into like that type of stuff and it's i found it genuinely very funny nice it's not a comedy but like the like this the situations and like the acting styles like very it's funny in a coen brothers kind of way where it's like situations and like the way people act is funny not jokes per mm -hmm. se that's cool yeah i'll check it out yeah i'm not sure where you can find it anymore but you can find some of the softcore film some of the mexico softcore softcore films on uh amazon at one point oh i found it and, i'll i'll dig in the internet to find it Just and the uh, hardcore ones are on other places and they're they're interesting now they're they're as they're, they're less interesting but they're still pretty good internet archive has to have it i'll check probably <laughs> Yeah, probably. Yeah. Or you you could always ask the hamster. The hamster <laughs> usually knows. Yeah. It didn't but, expect uh, to talk about Riley Musker this much. Uh, <laughs> but I do like yeah. this uh this opening with the with Bob and Jimmy because uh it kind of really sets the it sets the tone for how you should look at the rest of the movie as it continues because it starts off set fairly serious watching uh you know, uh, humorless Angela just kind of uh, figuring out what's going on around her. But then these two goofballs come in and they're doing that whole like vaudevillian mm -hmm. sequence of trying to sneak up the stairs, mm -hmm. uh, uh, dropping things on, you know, and when the hat lands on the maid. <laughs> so the movie's telling you like, it, it's all right, lighten up. I know we're dealing with infidelity and, and things that are kind of relationship that is dying, but like, we're going to have some fun here. And like the husband, uh, Bob, at one point, he said, he like tells his wife, uh, like, uh, you're my, you're my interested in friendless women, which Roger's like, are they each other's beards? What's happening? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, his dialogue yeah. interests me. He sounds so cold <laughs> compared to his wife. I was like, are you sure who's like, she's the cold one here? Like, she's like the boring one because I, I didn't see it in him. But when oh, he absolutely. said, yeah, but like when he said that we used to be friends and now you're like the, now you're just my wife. <laughs> like, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, again, it feels like a, a beard situation. It's like, yeah, you're, you're my wife, so I can, can, so I can be with my best friend. Me and Jimmy can hit the town. I can have a, <laughs> I can have a bad time with some out of town businessmen, as he says. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, go be with your friend then. <laughs> And Jimmy just seems like one of those guys where if the bear's hungry, he eats. You know? <laughs> like, man, woman, doesn't matter to Jimmy. He's just happy to be there. You know? Absolutely. <laughs> Glad for the attention. Mm -hmm. Which is why he throws these the lavish parties in the sky. He loves the drama. Let's be real here. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> you think that electricity guy didn't carry him around like a baby at one point? Uh, you mean uh, Electro? <laughs> electro, yeah. <laughs> Pre-code Spider-Man villain Electro. <laughs> yeah, that that'd be the costume if that if Electro was in that musical. Oh, in the uh, the Steve Rogers musical. Uh, the, turn off the dark. 
Oh, no. <laughs> I thought you meant the uh, the fake musical in the Captain America movies. Oh no. <laughs> now I need a pre-code era version of um, Spider-Man and uh, actually all the Marvel. Let's bring all Marvel pre pre-code. Someone needs to do they it. Kinda, they kind of did that for the, the noir run, sort of. Sort of. <laughs> yeah, like I remember Punisher was just like a mobster, more or less. That's Honestly, that is the, the least interesting character you can explore in that universe. <laughs> yeah. The guy who's already just a dude with some guns. Yeah, like, Spider-Man was just, like, I think he was, like, a, a uh, he didn't have powers, but, like, he was, uh, he could, like, slip away like a spider or something. It, was, <laughs> it, it wasn't, it wasn't that interesting. Yeah. A spider-like ability to run away. <laughs> oh, my God. I remember I bought those books being like, this was a waste of money. <laughs> it wasn't worth it. Oh, that happens so often in comics. Uh, that's why I only, uh, that's why right now I only have Moon Knight and the Monkey Prince. Mon yes, Monkey Prince. And I stick with that because I don't want to potentially waste my money. <laughs> yeah. The last comic I read was The Sandman for Neil Gaiman. And I'm okay with that. <laughs> it's a good place to stop. It is. <laughs> Can't really go wrong with that. No. Hard to top. It's pretty good. <laughs> but I will I will say this about uh Madam Satan though. Uh I don't know how y'all feel about this. Uh this is sort of a uh an interesting situation in that while we do um sympathize with Angela and her current situation with Bob, Bob being a real son of a bitch. Uh once we meet the other woman though, you go, Okay, I get it. <laughs> yeah it's it's a typical like like you said it's a simple story but it's also a story we've definitely heard of before you know where the man basically yeah. just bored of his wife and so trixie and you can tell when you meet her she's she's exciting oh yeah she's i mean she exciting. she hits the jazz cigarettes and uh even even in the way they each sing in this musical like angela does that uh, the aforementioned warble, you know, everything she sings is like this. <laughs> and then you meet Trixie, and it's, hey, nani nani, and a ha cha cha. And you're like, okay, this chick's cool as hell. Yeah. <laughs> like, I understand why why she could draw your attention away from uh, your already very beautiful wife. Yeah. she. I mean, Trixie's a firecracker, and yeah. she's she's fun to watch on screen. I, I really enjoyed, wa I enjoyed watching her, her character. Uh, my wife and I also found that at no point were we not on Trixie's side. <laughs> I was like, nah, she's right. <laughs> I'm not I'll... sure if you guys looked. I'm not sure if you guys looked into it, but uh, Bobby, I feel like you've seen this movie. But um, the actress who's Trixie is in Alice, Sweet Alice. <gasps> no yes. way. Yeah, she would have been. She, yeah. Uh, so that's like what fifty? No, forty years later. Oh wow! I really like that movie too. Yeah, Lillian Roth was fairly uh, prolific. Uh, matter of fact, her life got adapted into a film uh, called uh, "I'll Cry Tomorrow." That uh, mm. and the woman who played her, Susan Hayward, actually won an Oscar. Mm. Oh wow! Uh, fitting almost with the, her character of Trixie. Her uh, her grave marker actually reads, "As bad as it was, it was good." <laughs> Interesting lady. Lillian Roth. Yeah. All right. So, uh, all right, so uh, I guess we talked around it, but like, what 
so for, so for you too, like what, uh, uh, what worked in, in like for you in this movie? What worked for me? Oh yeah, I can go. Um, I think what worked for me was the transformation of, of Angela becoming that, um, or the Madame Satan thing. I actually did believe that, uh, and the whole dynamic between her and Trixie. Uh, part of me is because I have like some empathy towards Angela, um, but I thought that was very. I believe that fully. You know, she at the end of the day, she wants her husband back. She's trying to do what she can, and something about that performance of her becoming the Madame Satan this like kind of brings that element out of her that Trixie thought that Angela doesn't have, but clearly she does. She just has to kind of. Have like an incentive, I guess. Like have like some type of inspiration, and uh, yeah, I, I thought that element really worked for me. Uh, Bobby. Yeah, and, and for me, uh, the humor hit really well for me in this. Uh, it's sort of it keeps kind of uh, teetering back and forth. Uh, between being like an old vaudeville kind of uh, sense of humor, you know the whole uh, the locked door uh, bit that they do over <laughs> at Trixie's house. Uh, when we get to the point where Angela just simply walks out of the room through a different door and pops up in the bedroom, I cackled. <laughs> <laughs> and just casually pulling out a derringer, <laughs> you know, little 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 things like that throughout. And as the movie progresses, it gets increasingly ridiculous until once we're on the. Uh, once we're on the dirigible, it, we're in a cartoon world. Mm -hmm. And I really, uh, that really worked for me a lot. That, that tickled me. I really uh, had a lot of fun with that. Then the, just the visuals, you know, like this is a, a massive movie. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, with in, insane costumes, especially toward the end of the movie, I had read that there was a, a world record set with one of the dresses as for the most fabric used in a dress. Yeah, hmm. the, the costumes were stunning for that. Especially for the this this Zeppelin scene, <laughs> that was so outrageous. Yeah. It kind of made me wish I was part of the party. I'm not gonna lie. Oh, absolutely! I, I said that aloud watching it. I was like, man, I wish I was there. Yeah, <laughs> like I would go to this party <laughs> for sure. Like I, I'm afraid of heights like that, and I don't think I would like. Maybe I want to do it today, but that scene alone, it's like okay. Um, if someone dared me, or if I knew somebody, okay, maybe I'll go. Yeah. That's worth. <laughs> I think my only issue there is I I'm I have a tendency to leave parties a little early, <laughs> and you can't do that when you're stuck in the sky. No, well, I guess you could, but uh, well, yeah, it's a parachute. <laughs> what about you, Spencer? Uh, I like the like the the transformation going from like this uh, just like not. Not say rom com, but like this bad marriage story mixed with like silly comedy into this this weird party in the sky out of seemingly out of nowhere, and just like the the shift into like oh no this is a movie now was like I, I just like how bold it was with how silly everything was, mm -hmm. and just like the 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 sun jump into ridiculous territory of like okay I, the, like this is just an excuse for like like i feel like that's like showing off filmmaking and being like well this is how you do sound this is how you sh how you this is how you <clears throat> like show off costumes this is like 
like I felt like this like um like the mill was showing off like you know this is a sound era this is what you can do with with like movies right now oh absolutely yeah and uh did you read about the uh the technicolor bit oh no uh the uh what was it ballet mechanique the the electro scene uh Mm -hmm. on the zeppelin was originally shot to be in color Hmm. and there was an issue with uh i think the frame rate or something like that i read uh and they weren't able to actually present it that way and now you know so many years later there is no surviving color print of those scenes but those were done in color Hmm. which would even add more to the almost uh wizard of oz like uh switch over that happens in this movie once we get up to the sky (laughs) and we're in a different world entirely if suddenly this black and white movie went to full technicolor yeah like at the party there's the part like the the uh the i forgot I didn't even write down what the contest was like where the the costume thing where who would be like the bell the ball or whatever mm-hmm. and like the way he's talking is like the way like people i forgot where in wizard of oz but there's someone in wizard of oz talks or similar cadence and it's like okay that does us like a oh yeah they, they kind of talk like that in the emerald city i forgot what part it was but like, there's like, like a carnival barker type guy in emerald city and it's like that same cadence and like similar um like similar vibe it's like and it definitely felt like uh i forgot where i'm going with this bobby that's really interesting that you brought up the technicolor um aspect that they were going to use for that sequence because and you mentioned the wizard of oz which actually came out nine years after this wild to think about isn't it yeah and like when you think about it's like that would have been amazing to see in color because it, it kind of went all out. <laughs> like it, Wizard of Oz would have seemed way less impressive if this movie had already done it almost a decade earlier. True. Of just like we step into this other world of fantastical costume characters. That's yeah, that's a very good point. There are some promotional materials like lobby cards that exist where it's been colorized in the in the still images, mm-hmm. and if if you look those up, you can get an idea of what this would have looked like. And oh, I, re- I I am so sad that there's no surviving uh, color print of those scenes. Hmm. Yeah, there's a, a pre-code horror movie called Doctor X that has, I think, segments that are in Technicolor, but uh, or. Yeah, there are segments of Technicolor. I haven't seen Doctor X, but it's one that that that's like maybe for Halloween because it's like one of the one of the horror movies of that era, and I always hear it's very good. You know, it's a title I've heard of, but I've never managed to see it myself. Yeah, I, yeah, um, friend of Amanda who knows Preco is like always says like that's one of the must-sees of pre-code stuff all right uh so okay uh, yeah so like with the costumes and stuff like when you get onto the ship um when you get like the the ballet number mm-hmm. um you see people who with like wheels on them and i got flashbacks to return to oz and the wheelers and oh, no. oh my I, god i found it, <laughs> i found it uh, for a second genuinely unnerving because like oh no 
They're just stuck now. <laughs> the wheelers have attacked the Zeppelin. Spencer, oh, the humanity. Spencer, I was not expecting you to say all that. Now I have terrible flashbacks of that film. <laughs> like, I saw the movie as, a, as an adult, and like they come off like a Death Wish street gang. No, oh, yeah. Not, like silly villains. Yeah. We are firmly in the 80s with those guys. Like that is... <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny. I watched that all the time as a kid. I didn't actually... Uh, as a kid, you don't you don't have the scope of how the rest of the world is revering a film. So I thought everyone had seen both of the Wizard of Oz movies. Mm -hmm. It's Wizard of Oz mm -hmm. one and two, and like they're both, you know, equally respected. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's just where the story goes next. Like everyone knows that movie. And oh, I was wrong. Yeah, everyone has seen the the head switching scene. That's really deeply off putting to watch. <laughs> Yeah, I watched a lot of that, and I watched The Wiz all the time, yeah. which is still great. I think I only saw um, Return to Oz, like, once or twice, but after that, I'm like, I don't think I want to see this again. <laughs> <laughs> like that's, I don't say that as an adult. <laughs> like it's, it's, it doesn't feel good as an adult. No, I, I don't know what I would have done if I saw it when I was a kid, but um, no, nah, like, one time, so I, I'd rather not. I, I like the... I kind of like the innocence of The Wizard of Oz, and I felt like that sequel kind of tarnished that for me just a little bit. Like, Well, that's totally understandable. <laughs> uh, I have the unfortunate designation that I was a creepy little kid. Um, I was uh, I was raised on horror films. Uh, before I even saw any of like the Disney classics, I was already watching Lovecraftian films and Hellraiser and all that shit. And like, it, so I was right at home with something like <laughs> Return to Oz. I was like, this is how movies are supposed to be. What's fun, what's interesting is like I actually was I used to watch Tales from the Crypt when I was a kid and I was oh, yeah. okay with that, yeah even like um the Nightmare for Christmas and all that but something about the the Return of Oz I was like no it's okay I I rather just stick with the Wizard of Oz and you know the 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 lightheartedness of that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there's definitely a lot of characters on the Zeppelin that would fit in a movie like that. You know, the the six-armed woman, definitely. <laughs> the, the the Shiva costume. Yeah, which, like, something like that was... A, like, a, I was... I was expecting, like, a racist joke to come out of that. But, like, it, the fact that it took so long was... Honestly, kind of refreshing. Because I, I, I was expecting it to be... Cause, like, the, the, like the, the tasteless, like, casual racism doesn't appear until the very, very end. Yeah. Which, mm -hmm. to me, really... I was like, oh, they have, they showed some restraint. It's still there, but. <laughs> we were a little bit tasteful with the racism. Yeah. No, every time I see 1930, I'm like, no, there's racism in here. It, it, it is like, what there's it no is. way we got out without any. Yeah, <laughs> even from MGM, but. <laughs> was yeah, that... like, it's been almost two hours. It's almost over. There's nothing questionable yet. No, it's like every time. No matter what it is, 1930, 1920, 1940, racism is somewhere in this film. So I'm always prepared. But um, now when it came for that um, Zeppelin scene, those costumes, I just, I, all I had to say was, of course, they will look like that. It's MGM. They, they have to. <laughs> it has to go yeah. big. And that's, that's the one thing I really loved about this movie. Um, despite it being pre-code and... Yeah, being like in black and white, even if even without the whole Technicolor thing, I think it would have made the scene even more spectacular. It still looks spectacular in black mm -hmm. and white. 
because I like that the how dramatic the costumes were, the patterns, the the shimmers, the gl- the glitter, everything. And that's the thing about I loved about MGM. I felt like it had a staple on it, despite it's being like a weird vaudeville type of you know feeling to the story. I thought it still worked, and that was really really pretty. Um, I was really like in awe watching that. Absolutely, just, uh, the absurdly long feathers all over Trixie's costume. Mm-hmm. And the, yeah, the clock uh, dancers that show up at one point. Yeah, I love the little. Uh, we get the intro, uh, <clears throat> introduction of Trixie, and the the H E man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, when and she's like, "Do you like my costume?" And he's like, "I don't see anything." <laughs> Which you know, for the time a lot of these costumes were like crazy revealing for stuff that would be depicted in a film. Mm-hmm. Um, I had read yeah. that they had the costume designers had to add some spots to some of these outfits to make them a little bit less revealing. Yeah, yeah they were pretty like, scandalous. <laughs> like for the time, yeah, that was yeah. like I mentioned people in the theater were like, whoa, when some of these people walked out. Yeah, this is a thing like my great grandma was a very against movies and popular music. Uh, a lovely woman, but she's very, very traditional. Mm-hmm. Like a movie like this, she would be like, "This is why movies are a sin. This is filth." <laughs> yeah, madam, what? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, t- the 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 poster alone would have turned her off. Mm. Oh, surely. I mean, the poster, depending on which poster we're, you're looking at, like there's some that make it look as if Madam Satan destroyed the blimp. Because there's one where she's kind of got like the the Looney Tunes acne plunger that she's leaning on. Mm-hmm. And it's a bit of a misrepresentation. Like, oh, do, does she down the Zeppelin? Because that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, I'm Madam Satan. Everybody wants me. And I'm going to kill everybody. She like, had oh, to prove shit. it. We are going to hell. Yeah. And she did her job. <laughs> <laughs> it is funny, though, to think about like, how this must have come out of Angela. We never see her create the Madam. We don't get like the, uh, if this were an 80s movie, we'd get the gearing up montage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Pulling on the gloves and the, and putting on the Ultimo Dragon mask. Yeah. But it, it, uh, instead, we just see that, you know, we get the big reveal, which is a glorious shot of her just suddenly like opening the cloak and revealing that amazing bodysuit she's got on. Mm-hmm. And this vertical dress, where they did some like next level, uh, fashion moves with that there was like a different kind of cut to the dress that wasn't typical at the time so this was like this is some future shit for 1930 and uh i mean it looked like a tekken costume it did like i'm I'm expecting (laughs) this to be like a dlc character (laughs) yeah it could be nina williams alternate costume oh i totally i i would main madam satan (laughs) i was playing tekken (laughs) but uh the idea that like what am i gonna do about my cheating husband he thinks i'm not exciting enough i know I'm going to be this weird, like, sort of French-Spanish chick in a mask. <laughs> yeah, but it works so well. Because she just she gets to hide who she is, and she just kind of becomes that character behind the mask. And I just love that for her. Oh, yeah. I love that for her so much. It, it was pretty yeah. great when she uh, sh- quickly showed Jimmy a glimpse under the mask. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember exactly what he said, but it was like he suddenly started singing Swing Low, Sweet Chariot to himself. <laughs> Yeah, that was a weird moment. <laughs> yeah, he, he had the whole, like, I am so dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, and like the, the whole the whole gimmick turns into like she's going to seduce her husband, and then that will save the marriage? Question mark. Well, because yeah, he'll know that she's got this in her because he didn't believe it. Yeah, and then that's kind of the whole point because Trixie is that girl she can seduce, and she like she tells Angela, you know, like no, your husband's like choosing me because look at what you can't do. He wants all of this, okay? Like he can, she can flirt, she can seduce him. She's really, really enthralling and exciting. Doesn't think that Angela can do it, yeah. but obviously Angela's like, I proved you wrong, girl. Like <laughs> she's always had it in her. Yeah, that, that's true. And I mean, she's like, and she's kind of like, if you want a girl like that, I will give you a girl like that. Yeah. <laughs> and then we get her like a uh, caricaturized idea of what a girl like Trixie is, <laughs> which is European. In yeah, <laughs> you know, it adds a little something, right? It adds a little. It's a little more exotic if you have an uh, inconsistent European accent. <laughs> <laughs> Like, where is she from? God, she's from everywhere. <laughs> yeah, but, but also it feels like they're super rich. They they probably, like, she's probably taken French lessons and, like, has, like, it. it's like that Batman thing of, like, yeah, Batman's super rich. You don't really have to ask questions. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's a superpower. I mean, she has a, a staff of people at the ready to help her, like, you know, change the paper under her bird. <laughs> <laughs> it's like four people working on that, like a pit crew. It was a serious matter to them. I was like, is that it was. serious? It was like the biggest project of the day. It was like making sure that birdcage is clean. First world problems <laughs> right there, just in five minutes. <laughs> I think that's another reason why I uh, immediately sided with Trixie on all accounts. <laughs> because I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> Bob and Angela are too rich for me to, to root for them about anything. Like, <laughs> you have no problems, you a-holes. I almost sided with Trixie when she was singing um i forget what's one of the songs the that, yeah i was like i was like, i don't know trixie and then she started singing i'm like okay i get it i get it trixie i get it, it it's like yeah, and then that part you really get the difference of like yeah angela is boring she wears like uh like a long gown dress and then trixie wears like pretty much a, like a, a very very short mini skirt like for 1930 it's I was surprised to see something like that in a movie from this era. Oh Not, yeah, she seems out of time. Yeah, she's like that's a dress, that's a skirt you could wear today. And I was not gonna lie, I have a question of like, is this really pre-code? Because like some of the costumes were just pretty scandalous back then. I was just really shocked. Absolutely, like they hammer home that like she's a she's a real one, that Trixie. Like she's a regular gal. Mm -hmm. Like like she's been on the street. It kind of and, reminded me. There is me. a bit of like class tourism about Bob's affair too. He's just like, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go sleep with a poor girl for a little while. <laughs> that whole performance kind of reminded me of. I, I don't know if you heard of Clara Bow. It's like that it girl song. Mm -hmm. it, that that whole scene kind of reminded me of that. Like like she's that girl that everyone kind of wants, and it's kind of got that little vibe from her. I'm like that. Like I, okay, like I get it, Trixie. She has that spice. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's not to say Angela's like bad, you know. I have nothing against Angela. She's glamorous. She's rich, long dresses, you know. Part of life. She settled in the white girl. She does, especially once we get over to Trixie's place, uh, reveal that she's a psychopath. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like entirely, just like showing up. Like I'm gonna sleep in this room now. Like you don't even know this woman. And then she's <laughs> waving a gun around, and it's just. 
<laughs> like, oh my god, you completely had a had a break from reality, Angela. So it makes that sense that she'd suddenly show up as Madame Satan. She's accepting all the dark parts of herself, and like I said, she, at least she's self-aware. Yeah. <laughs> if you waving a gut around and not being self-aware, it sounds more terrifying to me. But if you know what you're doing, you'd be like, well, okay, I can't. I, I guess. And like waving it around in a non-threatening way. She's just like spinning it on her finger like it's her car key. <laughs> and everyone else is wide-eyed because it's a derringer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and at that point I realized is is Angela the boss? The boss. The boss? Like she's the, the one who wears the pants in a relationship type of way. Is this a no. is this a who's the boss reference? <laughs> yes, yeah, it's a oh. dumb sitcom joke. <laughs> I, was, I was like, are you making a Tony Danza joke? <laughs> <laughs> I've heard of that show. I just haven't watched that show, but like, okay, I'll give you that one. That's fine. Yeah, I've never seen. It. I just know Angela, Angela. and <laughs> that's about it. <laughs> Every time we say Angela, I, I can't help but think of Sleepaway Camp. Like, no, this is Madam Satan, not. Madam oh, Satan. if this had that ending. Lord. <laughs> like, Madam Satan <laughs> tears off the dress and screams on a, on a falling Zeppelin. <laughs> this needs to be rebased so we could get that. I think that'd be great. By the way, that the falling Zeppelin, the one time I was rooting for Bob because he rides that thing down and then jumps at the last second, mm -hmm. I was like, oh my god, what a mensch. <laughs> this dude's a fucking stud. I can't believe he pulled that up. Now I get why everyone loves this guy, even though he sucks. It's a, it's yeah. a, it's a nice quality to have. It's kind of like that guy who saved the plane of the Hudson's. Like, that's that, that type of thing. And oh, I'm like, Sully? Yeah. That's how I saw it. I'm like, Okay, we'll give you a clap. That that was that was good. You get one for this, Bob. Yes. And but the end of the movie is like, you did all this for him. Like, yeah. He still sucks the whole time. This guy sucks. And then like the ending, where where you know, I was hoping at the very end, and I know we're we're jumping around non-linear here, but like, I was hoping she was gonna leave with Jibby at the end. <laughs> When he shows up like like a Looney Tunes character with like the head bandage <laughs> and the shiner and like his arm in a sling, and uh, and he, he basically just tells Bob like you either start treating her right or I'm gonna take her. I was like leave with him. And that would be so dope. That would be probably more fitting for the end of the for the end of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Except what we do get is like the the dynamic at home has changed. Like you know, Angela's the boss now. <laughs> Ding. I don't know. I still got the vibe. Like, there's still, I don't know. It's probably there's still some work to do, but. Oh, yeah. The problems have not gone away. Yeah. That's like, nothing has changed. You'd be back to the square one, like, after this movie. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. Bob's like, well, that was fun. I hope Trixie will still talk to me. Right? I, I'm just hoping, like, Angela, please keep the um, Madame Satan costume somewhere lurking because this is not over. Oh, we do kind of imply that though, because she does slip back into the uh, vaguely European accent for a second. <laughs> <laughs> let him know that like that, that lady's still here. Yeah, I'm just like, begging. I'm just like at the end of the movie. I'm just like, please, like girl, he's gonna cheat on you again. I'm sorry. Like he, he's so boring, but like you tried, girl. That's okay. You you won yeah, this but... round. You won <laughs> like, this round. You know what but the Trixie, perfect though, ending would have been? Uh, no, please go ahead, Spencer. Uh, Trixie did end up. Where exactly where she wanted, in like a men's uh, men's like um locker room. 
Oh, a Turkish so, bathhouse? Basically. Because, like, remember she lands in that, in, she lands in that, like, locker room full of, like, naked men? Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, well, she, she's going to be happier there than she's going to land with Bob. Maybe. I, I was getting some serious uh, homoeroticism from that sequence. Like, it felt like that was the gag. It was like she landed near it, and it was just a bunch of gay dudes bathing with each other. But uh, I do like the, the the positioning she had, the way she was tangled in her uh, in the cords of her parachute. It makes it look like she's like a burlesque performer on a swing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, damn, what I was thinking was the perfect ending for this movie would be... Uh, uh, a sudden reveal, a twist that like Bob died on the Zeppelin and he has gone to hell with Madame Satan. <laughs> <laughs> like she actually is Madame Satan now and he's stuck here for all eternity. <laughs> yeah, I, I was genuinely surprised that the Madame Satan thing was just a character because, like, based off the, the, the poster and the title, it's like, is. I was assuming it'd be like a Faustian deal type of thing. Mm-hmm. Like we have a... some kind of supernatural element occur. Yeah. Because I, I saw like part of the trailer, which is like the costume part. And it's like, this feels, this aesthetically looks like the, the Edgar Allan Poe story about uh, uh, Mask of Red Death. Yes. Kind of sort of. I was thinking like, okay, maybe it's like a musical version of that, but with Satan. <laughs> but it's like, oh, it's just about... Uh, trying to save a marriage that real, real realistically probably should just end <laughs> they didn't do that back in the 30s though you, know, you just stayed unhappy until you both died uh both well both my mom's parents uh the well, my mom's both my mom's parents are children of divorce and they and their parents divorced like in the late 30s early 40s wow what was the oh. uh, the social stigma back then? Was it different from now? Uh, for one, they waited until, um, uh, they waited until he was kicked out of the house because they're Makes very, sense. they're very religious. They are um, Seventh Day Adventists, which mm. that's a whole weird Christian. I'm not going to talk about that. I don't want to insult my family. Yeah, that's um, fair. <laughs> and the other one. Uh, he's like a military man, so like I feel like the military culture was a little more accepting of of uh, people looking divorce. That makes sense. Yeah, I had I had teenage parents in the eighties, so like I don't have any memories of my parents together. <laughs> my dad was like, "Whoa, a baby! I'm out of here." <laughs> no. Yeah, that's. Yeah, I, I've heard your childhood stories on the grind. They they always <laughs> yeah. start kind of funny, and then it's like, oh, that's really sad. Yeah, <laughs> it happens to be a lot. <laughs> it starts off great, and then it's like, oh. Well, like, and like, you gonna, and like you're yeah. chuckling while you tell the story because you think it's funny, and everyone's just stone facing you. You're like, oh, this is not. <laughs> no. Uh, the, you guys don't have the context I have. Okay, this isn't normal to you guys. <laughs> you had to be like, there. That's the kind of moments. <laughs> Like when, told the, when you told the story about how you moved to California, it's like, this is funny. Oh, this, no, this is very upsetting, actually. <laughs> yeah, that was, a, that was a surprising one. Uh, just broad strokes, Alexandria. Mm-hmm. I, I moved coast to coast via kidnapping. Oh? Yeah. Kidnapping? <laughs> yeah, I got I... kidnapped. 
and uh, when my after I was missing for a few days and I got on the phone to my family back east, uh, I told them I was in California. They said, do you like it there? And I said, yeah. And I, do you want to stay? And I said, yeah. It's the kidnapping and, part for me. I'm like, ooh, uh, how did that happen? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was weird. I kind of participated in my own kidnapping. I was uh, put on a plane by myself. Mm. <laughs> at 10 years old and they're just like your grandma's gonna meet you in california <laughs> like all right that, that's, like, that, that's an acceptable of form of kidnapping i suppose <laughs> do you like See, honestly I, I prefer it to any other forms of kidnapping if you're gonna get kidnapped that's the way to do it it's traveling alone <laughs> yes <laughs> full of wonder like you're traveling matt from fraggle rock <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember where I heard this, but Molly Shannon has similar stories about her childhood and like how how her dad, her mom died when she was young, but her dad kind of let her kind of do whatever. And like when she was 13, she like went to New York City by herself on a bus. Wow. Wow. It's a, it's a crazy story. Uh, I think it was on a WTF like a decade ago. Hard to believe it's been a decade of that. Wow. It's been way more than a decade of that. Oh, so old. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm getting there. So, uh, I mean, I have people already calling 90s music like dad music or anything like I was like, are you kidding me? Like, oh my God. Oh, my, my partner recently said, like, well, Green Day, like, American Idiot is dad music. I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, people your age are having kids. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. It is dad music now and now that you think about it when now you like the 90s is are like literally 30 years ago and it's like oh my god find the urns already i guess because it's <laughs> we're officially <laughs> old <laughs> so that means like early buster rhymes is dad music now it is oh it absolutely is like today's generation doesn't know who buster rhymes is that's sad. Yeah, I was gonna say, I, I was like, he's featured in the Lil Wayne albums, but like now I'm thinking of like ten years. Lil ago. Wayne Little... isn't current for for the kids for the target demo. That is, oh, fuck yeah, you're right. No. I don't know what you yeah. think. Everyone that we liked is like dad music now. Oh, yeah, Weezy's our generation, dude. <laughs> yeah, did you see his presentation he did for a, a uh, he did like a special hosting thing for Street Fighter Six? Really? He's there for one minute. And like they cut around him because it's clear like he was probably a little too stoned to be hosting. <laughs> and they're very You're kidding. <laughs> very obvious edits of him talking. And then they just uh, cut to like the game like the game producers and designers and he and he never shows up again. <laughs> oh well. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, oh yeah so this is a musical technically mm -hmm. um i was surprised at the lack of like actual songs but also considering this is 1930 and sound is still like still not i won't say it's a novelty still but they're still trying to figure out how to use sound mm -hmm. i mean it, watch... it is an early talkie you know that was part of the advertising on some of the old posters that, that like you can hear this one you know, and uh, <laughs> and it certainly shows. Uh, you can even see in the body language of our of our two leads of Bob and Angela that like 
it's almost like the uh, the dueling cavalier from uh, Singing in the Rain, where mm. you can see the way that they're acting, that they are used to silent performances. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Even like on actually on one of the posts I'm looking at right now, is it's like a Metro Golden where on the very bottom and then all talking in bold. So clearly it's like they're getting used to the sound. Mention <laughs> <laughs> of Hollywood and that's um yeah it's not a typical musical like in the ways that i'm used to but back in those days is trying to see how far sound can take it you know how far they can go and there are some audio quality issues with at least i mean i assume that the version that we all watched was the highest quality version that exists i don't believe there's blu-ray yet Mm -mm. but uh, um there's a dvd at least there is a dvd i assume that was the the cut that i saw when i rented this off of uh, youtube <laughs> but uh like for example the song that the maid sings that inspires the madam satan transformation i couldn't tell you a single line from that song <laughs> okay, like she I was certainly was singing me. and then later angela goes i'm following what you said in the song and i'm like what did she say in the song <laughs> <laughs> No, they're not. the The songs are not that memorable, but I did like "Low Down" and "Meet Madame," which I thought that was really cool. But other than that, that that's all. It's like these were nice, not memorable, but nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like and going like going through the cast of Bam Satan, like a, 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 a lot of them just kind of turned out to be supporting roles. Uh, cause like uh. Reginald Denny, who's a shitty husband, he shows up in just a whole bunch of stuff. Like, he's in Rebecca, he's in Batman 66, he, he's in um, Abbott Costello meet Jekyll and Hyde. He just has, like, a, a career as, like, a, a character slash support role, more or less. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Roland Young, who played Jimmy, he uh, he went on to star in his own, uh, he got his own franchise. He was uh, the star of the Topper movies. Which got him Pop- uh, an Academy Award. The Popper movies? Uh, Topper with a T. Oh, okay. uh, I've not say seen Poppers any of them. or something else. Yeah, he got really into Poppers. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, the Topper movies are about, I believe it's like a, a bank manager, but the bank is haunted. <laughs> they made like three of those movies where he's. I want to see those now because I really enjoyed his performance as Jimmy. So if he's like trying to deal with a haunted bank, I'm in. Mm-hmm. Even uh, CCB DeMille's daughter was in this film. She was in uh, in the Zeppelin scene. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Was she one of the costume characters? Yeah, she played one of them. It was like, it was uh, uncredited. It's like the Zeppelin Revular, whatever that is. I figured she was in there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, CCB DeMille also spoke. He was like the radio caster, but it was uncredited. So that's cool. There. I love when the people do stuff like that. Yeah. He also, puts the, uh, movies the all band the leader was legitimately a well-known band leader at the time, so that was like a musician cameo. Mm-hmm. Uh, when when uh, Bob makes the band stick around and play music <laughs> while everyone's panicking, uh, the band leader did some of the uh, the Silly Symphonies cartoons at the time. He was like a like a early uh, music guy for you know the. Uh, the sort of uh you know proto looney tunes oh, okay. yeah, there's something else i was trying to think of uh 
Oh, I, like a, a silly little thing that really sucked, I loved was like the kissing contest where Bob was like, <laughs> oh, I, I, I'll, I'll know Trixie's kiss. And he, <laughs> and Matt Satan just steps away at Trixie and he completely falls for it. And it's like this wonderful moment of like, oh, Trixie has lost completely at this point. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I love that they had her, op- they had Madam Satan open her cloak and put her back to the camera so that you fill in that she just gave him the dirtiest kiss 1930 had to offer. <laughs> and he's kind of blown away by it for a second. He's like, oh, that had to be Trixie. <laughs> she's like I will kill you no. Trixie was defeated right there at that moment poor girl didn't deserve that they did They did my girl Trixie dirty on that one I thought she deserved every minute of it oh. <laughs> how could you say that <laughs> I mean like Trixie's cool I get it but she dirty no, once she gets on the Zeppelin she's just whining yes. the whole time she's clearly the villain of the story once we get there yeah, that kind of made me lose, like, brownie points for her. But, like, yeah, you were cool in the beginning. Now I'm just like, well, girl, you know you are doing wrong anyway, so come on. You know, it's like Woody when Buzz Lightyear showed up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, this movie, like, I, I wish they were more, like, big-budget Hollywood musicals like this, which, uh, like, this, like, having, like, the Disney ones is fine. There's a market for that, but it'd be nice just to have like what like besides cats, like some more kind of weirder ones. Like like something like this, like if this were remade, mm-hmm. like I would I would love to see like how this would be reinterpreted. Now I think it would be more. It's like, uh, just like, like if they don't use CG, like just imagine how like the practical effects that you could do for this. Although if we're if we're now, I feel like there would be some CG, obviously. Yeah, you, you, you can't you really. have to. We can't we can't blow up a zeppelin. <laughs> I mean, and, you uh, could yeah. blow up a zeppelin if you want to make a zeppelin. Well, sure. Yeah. I mean, I I I fully support the blowing up of zeppelins in the name of <laughs> in the name of film, but. Uh, <laughs> It is funny that back then you had to practically do a lot of stuff. Like, I know the stuff with everyone jumping with their parachutes, they actually had to build a big-ass, like, 200-foot set and have people jump off onto, like, a crash pad, which they would never do now. No, that's... No. (laughs) You're asking for a lawsuit. Yeah, exactly. You're going to have, like, like at least three of Henry VIII's wives are going to break their ankles on the way down. Well, that was maybe. a good joke, by the way, when Henry VIII shows up and they're like, and his wife, and like all six follow behind him. Oh, Lord. <laughs> well, I was thinking, you know, now we have, I didn't watch John Wick movies, but th- just learning about the stunts in those films, maybe we can have a Zeppelin scene and have people just jump out of them with parachutes. Oh, certainly. You know, as yeah, long as they land not- safely. Like, John Wick Ford, the one big stunt was like this sequence and a roundabout that is really cool but i feel like it goes on for like a, like a minute yeah. too long we, but it's still like te- technically like the it's incredible it's like this is really fucking cool it, i can't believe no one's done this before yeah i heard it's like it's actually one of the longest stunt scenes or in history at this moment but yeah we talked about that in our ending class i haven't seen the films so i can't speak too much of it but concerning those movies and i heard that and I was actually, um, I'm not sure if you guys have heard of Christopher Nolan's movie, Oppenheimer, that's coming out soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I heard. That's that he, musical too, yeah? 
Hmm? <laughs> That's Oppenheimer with an exclamation point. Isn't Barbie a musical? Because like you see clips like silent, like that they don't hear audio of, where it looks like either like an exercise class or they're doing a musical number. So I haven't seen any anything declared it's a musical yet. I'm sure so. there'll be a musical number. Um, and Oppenheimer? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I want it so much. Um, maybe there is one. I heard it was based... Uh, people were wondering, at least in the people I was talking to, they were wondering if it was based off a play that was talked about Oppenheimer, but apparently it's based <laughs> off a book about Oppenheimer. But anyway, I was going to say, I heard that the Nolan... goes wiping out the planes. <laughs> Oppenheimer. <laughs> I'm sure someone will make that at some point. If not Nolan, someone, someone will. At some point. But I heard that they created an explosion for the film. So, if I mean, when we really consider it, we are bringing back the practical effects thing. So, I think, yeah, they're going to do a remake of Mad of Sane. I think they should go all the way. You build a freaking Zeppelin. You build a set. And you have people jump out of them, as you should, with the parachutes. And just have them land on regular mattresses or whatever you have for some people. And get that thing on camera. Let's go. What you do is you, you cast Tom Cruise as Bob. He's going <laughs> to insist that we actually jump out of a Zeppelin. I'm sure he'll be in this movie because of that scene alone. I'm he's got sure. the hair already. He's good to go. Exactly. That's one guy in the background. He's, yeah, he has to have and, a cameo. Uh, and it might be the one that finally kills him because clearly he has a death wish. Let's not wish for that. But, but you know, I do like him. I like seeing I, him jump out of stuff. Yeah, cool. I, I think he might have one because he keeps <laughs> he's like 60 years old and he's like no I want to do even crazier he wants to do stunts like Jackie Chan is too old for oh please remake Rumble in the Bronx with Tom Cruise <laughs> I want him full Jackie Chan just going I don't want any trouble at like hitting people with ladders and shit that'd be great <laughs> Yeah, um, uh, guys can um, you give me uh, two seconds to step away from my mic for a moment mm-hmm. Okay. thanks I'll be right back it, it was a uh... Donnie Yen was interviewed like maybe last year or so mm-hmm. and he said that like after decades of like doing action movies he uh lives in constant pain oh I bet yeah I can yeah, only like, imagine like, what it's like to be a retired stunt person yeah like Donnie Yen's still going but like it's still so much like like his his life is nothing but pain which I makes know. you realize Jackie Jackie Chan must be in constant pain jet late like hundreds of like the stunt people <laughs> like who, who worked for decades and must be, their life must must be like you know it is pain <laughs> i'm sure tom cruise has those moments from time to time he just doesn't tell us oh yeah definitely I he bet. seems like the type that like that like uh you know like uh david bowie had cancer but he didn't reveal it until much later yeah like i feel like tom cruise that'll be how tom cruise passes it'll just be sudden you know, like and at the last second, he'd be like, oh, yeah, I've been dying for, like, two years. I think if if Tom Cruise were ever to be in a remake of Madison, he would make a good Jimmy. And kind of like a hard yeah. to, like, his older characters who are a little bit zany out there. Yeah, but I mean, he doesn't really do risky stuff I know. Uh, role-wise anymore. True. <clears throat> Hey guys, sorry about that. Hey, Hi. Sorry about it. Well, I was bringing up that um, Donnie Yen recently reviewed re- revealed in an interview he his life is constant pain. Oof. Which you know makes you realize you know other 
people like him their life must be constant pain as well oh i'm sure i mean i can't imagine i mean because like donnie doesn't even do like the more extreme stuff oh no imagine how well, sam uh, would feel at this point because yeah, he did I, all I'm, the jack chan stuff but he did it as a heavier set guy yeah that's why i like him it's like hey there's me <laughs> <laughs> there's an out of shape guy doing all the same stuff yeah, but uh, I don't know. Have you seen that commercial Diane did for Burger King? That's pretty extreme. He did a Burger King commercial? Uh, was it McDonald's. He did a burger commercial for something. Well, he's really young in it. Uh, what? No, I never saw that. I'm a pretty big Donnie Yen fan. I guess I, I fell in love with Iron Monkey back when I was in like junior high. I found an old tape of it, which is really great if anyone hasn't seen iron monkey it's like a kung fu robin hood story okay it's a he it's a burger king commercial and he break dances in it oh my god it's <laughs> and he's been hurting ever since <laughs> uh, what do you say was that hmm? what did, what did you say you kind of oh i'm sorry i said he's been hurting ever since yeah, like, since, since that commercial. Busted out such a sick windmill that, like, his back was never the same. <laughs> All right, so, yeah, um, I I don't think I have much else to say. I like Madame Satan. I think it's more interesting and, like, historically important than it is, like, a great musical, per se. But I still would highly, I would definitely recommend it as this, like, kind of an artifact of like this is when musicals were becoming a thing in movies and this is kind of like the the groundwork of like what what, what you know what the genre will turn into i can recommend this movie to people who are interested in pre-code movies not maybe not necessarily a musical fan because i think when we say musical you know it's like really grand and a lot of spectacle a lot of dance a lot of musical sequences I think if I were, if Madam Saint would be like, you might have to tone it down a little bit because it's not, you're not going to get exactly that. <laughs> like the average musical fan would be like, maybe a little bit disappointed because I, I like it. I, I like it for as a pre-code musical, like to see, get a glimpse of what it, what, what those look like back then. Because I've never seen a pre-code musical until this, until I watched this. So that, that this is a very um. interesting they get better because like there's gold diggers of 1933 mm. that like is really amplifies it because by then they like by 1933 they really know how to do a musical yeah with sound and um obviously with sound and billy Barty has a small part in it and he's oh, a, wow. not a pun not, not intentional yeah <laughs> he's like he's like a child in it i was gonna a, say that's so early that must have been back when billy Barty was little oh yeah he's like he's like a weird little kid in a dance number peeping on women mm. yeah I'm just so like... the, the billy Barty we all know <laughs> yes. if you've seen like his 80s movies <laughs> yeah like i just very like when it comes to pre-code i i'd look at everything but the musicals for pre-code era but yeah. i think if, if anyone was interested in what musicals were like in that era they could check this out yeah i agree with that like I, i'd argue like this doesn't really rate as a musical Mm -hmm. but it's a very fun uh curio that's worth seeing yeah i i would recommend this above ten commandments 
<laughs> oh yeah, this is a much better musical than the Ten Commandments. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I almost went the opposite of like I don't know about that, but <laughs> but yeah, okay. That's yeah. I will say if you're gonna have to choose between Ten Commandments and Madame Satan, go with Madame Satan. You can watch the Ten Commandments afterwards. It's a warp scene. Just wait till Easter and go to your family's house and you'll watch it then. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so yeah, this is streaming in places. There is a DVD. Did I, there might be a Blu-ray. I think Amanda has a Blu-ray. Really? Hmm. I she watched has a, the disc. I she watched has it on the disc Voodoo. of like all the pre stuff. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. You like, Amanda has, has like a pre has a is a big um, Blu-ray collector, and I think she did say there's a Blu-ray of this. Oh, that's cool. Or there used to be. I may have to track that down because I, my wife and I very much enjoyed this movie. <laughs> <laughs> if there's a Blu-ray, I would like to see what the bonus features would be because, like, I would like to hear more like the history of it. So that'd be cool. And uh, yeah. Well, that's yeah, that's that, that's it for the movie part. Recommendations. I will. I have um actually two quick ones. I found another one. Okay. First is a Christian propaganda movie. It's <laughs> in the box set. Uh, African American pioneers it has like all the old silent and like sound stuff that um of black filmmakers, and it's called Hellbound Train. It was directed by uh, a a couple who the husband was a preacher and the wife did church stuff and they would tour and they would tour around with Hellbound Train, and it's this fifty minute long movie about the sins of uh, drinking alcohol, dancing, abortion, and the worst thing of all. <laughs> jazz music <gasps> and not and not going to church mm. oh no so it, it's pretty it's a pretty serious movie and i am so into that i have to watch that yes and the and there's like a weird the, the, you see the devil in it but it's like the devil costume to me looks distinctly caucasian which is like are they trying to say something about like white people here or is it just a shitty costume i can't really tell but <laughs> it's, it's a it's a fascinating watch. It's it's a long fifty minutes, by the way. It's like fifty one minutes, but it's a very long fifty one minutes. It, it, it took, I kind of fell asleep at, towards the end because it, it's you can tell they're not filmmakers. This is about like go to church cause, and God will save your soul. Don't mm -hmm. listen to jazz music. Mm. And. Uh, the other one is an Ozu movie. I flunked butt, and Ozu made a bunch of silent comedies before he did dramas. And uh, this is one of the comedies about college, and one of the stars is uh, Kinuyo Tanaka. She was the first Japanese woman to have a career directing films, and she directed really? I think four or five films, and she was an actor and. A shit ton of movies. If you've seen, she's in I think three Kurosawa movies in small parts, but she she's in a bunch of Mizoguchi movies. She's always always played like 
the Mizoguchi played a woman who was like uh, society treated like shit because that's the movies he made. Mm. But uh, yeah, she's a fascinating person. I love, I, I love and adore her, and uh, you get to see a very early movie movie role with her. And uh, I funked, but and there's and there's the whole series of these movies that are just like kind of goofy. Like they are just like these fun goofy comedies with no music track by the way if you watch on criterion channel mm-hmm. they are no completely silent oh, wow yeah wow. it's very weird to watch oh wow and that's it well, you two can decide who goes next <laughs> <laughs> um i can go yeah go ahead okay so my first film I'm going to recommend, it came out in 1930, and I'm going to try to pronounce it right because I never really do. Um, it's called Alage d'Or or Age of Gold, which is the surrealist film directed by Louise Benuel. And um, Salvador Dali also helped with the script. And if you've oh. never seen it before, it is literally one of the strangest films you will ever see. One of the strangest silent films you'll ever see. Um, well, actually, no, it was actually one of the first sound films that came out of France back in the day. And it doesn't really, still to this very day, it doesn't really make sense. But visually, it's interesting to, to see. You have like, ants coming out of hands. You have the famous eye being cut open, which is not really a real human eye, by the way. And it's just like there's a lot of interesting visuals that... I said I have to recommend people to check out if you're interested in Salvador Dali or if there's Luis Manuel that's a must see movie to, to watch I think I think most people who listen to this podcast have already seen this film but in case you haven't you have to see it um, <laughs> yeah. the other film I actually have two other films but the other film I want to recommend is The Blue Angel which is directed by um, I think it was Josef von Sternberg he also yes. used to collaborate with uh, Marlene Dietrich quite a bit. His son, yeah. and Nick she's in this mm-hmm. His son uh, is a cinematographer on Dolomite. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm serious. And his son was a cinematographer on a bunch of like B movies. It's kind of wonderful I, what I his son's to, career is. I have to look into that a lot. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, Blue Angel is a German expressionist film. It stars Marlene Dietrich and Emil Jennings. And um, basically about this teacher who kind of falls in love with this cabaret um, performer named Lola Lola. And it's a heartbreaking story, but I still recommend it for those who are interested in German Expressionist films. It's just a pretty remarkable film. That's awesome. Yeah. And let's see, what else? I'm, I'm, uh, this, this era has a lot of German Expressionist films, so... I'm going to always recommend those, no matter what. Um, kind of like what I do with musicals is a golden law of mine to always recommend German Expressionist films. Um, the other one I want to recommend is City Girl from F.W. Murnau. And it's a silent film. And it's a, one of those romantic stories that takes place in the Great Depression era. But um, there's this one particular scene that's so well edited and it's uh, has where all the cars will, like come in as like the couples like, you know, kissing and all that. But it's a really sweet story. But um, um, no, I'm sorry. That that's not that that's not that movie. It was Sunrise. I still recommend that film too as well. But um, no, it's a 
City Girl is a film I just I highly recommend if you're interested in F.W. Murnau's films. He's more than just, you know, Nosferatu. Yeah, Nosferatu. And also Emil Jannings also was in a few of his other films as well, like The Last Laugh, I believe. And um, yeah, so I, I recommend those films. That's excellent. Yeah. Uh, I've just got two real quick. They're both 1930 movies. Uh, 1930 was a real good year for our two uh, our two woman leads. Uh, Kay Johnson also starred in Billy the Kid, which uh, is a strange movie as far as performances go. Like they, uh, people's emotions keep swinging back and forth wildly between like awful things happening and everyone smiling. But the movie itself was shot in this uh, widescreen technique they called real life. You know, so it's a big movie. You mm-hmm. know, where they. Uh, they, these huge uh, backdrops, these, you know, a lot of, they really focused heavily on visuals on that one. That's a lot of fun. But the main one I wanted to talk about was uh, Lillian Roth also starred in a movie that year called Animal Crackers. And I am a huge Marx Brothers fan. <laughs> and uh, it definitely fits the kind of vaudevillian uh, comedy that I was referencing earlier. Uh, it makes sense to me that the character who played Trixie hung out with the Marx Brothers that same year. Uh, that one is the one with, uh, it revolves around a missing painting, and Groucho plays uh, Captain Spaulding, which is where the name of uh, Rob Zombie's famous villain character came from, and has the uh, the famous Groucho quote, uh, I want shot an elephant in my pajamas. What he was doing in my pajamas, I don't know. <laughs> so, uh, big recommend of, fr- frankly, all the Marx Brothers movies, but Animal Crackers is one of their very best, and features Trixie from Madam Satan. So those are my two, 1930. About the one with, uh, with a weird pedophile joke about, like, I, I took a picture of a, of a girl but wasn't developed or something. God, was it that one? I'm trying to remember now if that joke is in that one. God, it might oh. be. I gotta I got double check. Cause that's a funny joke, but also when I first thought, I was like, whoa, I didn't realize it. It, <laughs> it meant that. <laughs> well, we're pre-code, baby. <laughs> so, yeah. Even the jokes. All right, so uh, I'm not sure when this is coming out. The next episode I'm releasing is going to be the Gentlemen Prefer Blondes episode. Oh, hell yeah. Because uh, it's yeah, it's great uh, with uh, Alexandria, mm-hmm. uh, surprisingly. Awesome. Of, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, for Mother's Day is coming up. I think that seems like a mom kind of movie. So I'm trying to stay kind of on theme. Gentlemen Prefer Moms. <laughs> yeah, it feels like a movie. Like at least a movie my mom would be into. She watches TMC and all that shit all the time. If she's not watching the news, like like CNN, like not Fox News bullshit. She she she's changed over the last couple of years. Thank God. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah. So uh, man, what else was there? Uh, uh I can't think of anything. So I write for Grumpire on occasion. I have an article coming out on stormy weather. I don't know when they're gonna when they're gonna actually release it. Cause I have sent it out to the editor, and uh, artwork is being worked on, and I'm working on a piece on Godfrey Cambridge, and the two movies he starred in came out on the same day, May twenty seventh, nineteen seventy. That is Cotton Comes to Harlem, and The Watermelon Man, both released the same day with the same star and wow. uh, kind of write about those two movies and their place in film history and why 
I, uh, I love them so much, and uh, hopefully you'll hear that. I like Cotton Comes to Harlem quite a bit. I just got the book recently. I'm planning on getting into that. I'm collecting the uh, Harlem Detective series. Have you read any of them? Have you started the books yet? I haven't started them yet. I, I just grabbed a couple of them. I, I had only recently found out about the series. The tone of the of the movie is much lighter. The books have a much meaner, darker sense of humor. That makes sense. Reading the uh, the rest of the bibliography, <laughs> you know, some of the non comedic ones, and like that that makes a lot of sense. Uh, yeah, they, like the the books are full of. They couldn't say motherfucker, so they say mother raper. Oh wow, it, that's it's worse. a very, it is. It's a weird phrase to see over and over again in some of the books. But the, like the like the like a joke in the book is in the second one, real cool killers. Um, it opens with a white guy goes to a black bar in Harlem, and a, a fight breaks out, and the bartender cuts off someone's arm with a fireman's axe. Holy and then shit. the guy tries to reach for his arm to get the knife, and he dies. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's the kind of type of humor books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, uh, I love the books, by the way. But, like, way different than, than, uh, than the movie Cotton Comes to Harlem. The movie is, like, a fun romp. <laughs> the books are like gritty and like dark like cop books but have you uh, seen the uh there was a movie in 1991 uh, adaptation of rage in harlem uh not yet i know someone who worked on it when he as like an intern or some shit i haven't seen that one yet but i feel like it's probably got a tone from the look because of the stills i've seen like it seems to have a tone closer to what you're describing from the books yeah, that's when I... I, I know there was uh, supposed to be a TV series uh, starring um, uh, the lead actor from Blackula, who was also the king of cartoons on uh, Pee-wee's Playhouse. Uh, it was all set up to start, but then he got uh, blacklisted as part of the uh, uh, House on American Activities uh, McCarthy mm. witch hunt that was happening, and his show got canceled before it started. Yeah, um, that's... Well, well. First off, uh, at least he's he's a goddamn hero for not being for not backing down politically. But oh, also, really? it's fucked <laughs> that you know he didn't get that career. Uh, William Marshall. William Marshall. Thank you. I had William, but I couldn't uh, I couldn't pull his last name for the life of me in that moment. Yeah, yeah. I wish I wish someone would adapt those books again. But yeah, uh, yeah. Why? Well, yeah. So. Uh, yeah, Grumpire stuff. Cotton Comes to Harlem, Watermelon Man article in the future. And uh, I, I'm kind of forcing them to t write about black stuff because there, there isn't much like black movie stuff on their site. So I'm kind of forcing, forcing some of that on there. And I have, to, I have a, a thing in the works on Psycho and how Psycho inspired the baby and girly uh equally weird movie that <laughs> i uh, i'm trying to make work but uh yeah so i got stuff coming down the pipeline um uh bobby he you, you have stuff 
I do have stuff. My uh, my home turf is the Grime Bin podcast for a comedy show that uh, focuses on uh, grindhouse exploitation movies and uh, and related. <laughs> um, at the time of this recording, our most recent episode was on a uh, Charles Bronson movie, uh, Hard Times from 1975, the uh, Walter Hill movie that inspired Street Fighter Two of all things. And. Uh, and at the time of this recording, I'm about to record an episode tomorrow on uh, Jamal Fanaka's Penitentiary, which I've been wanting to bring to the show for a really long time. Oh, I was not thinking I'd bring up the other one, um, Welcome Home, Brother Charles. Oh, we'll be talking about it, and I'm sure we'll end up doing an episode on that eventually. But That's, uh, uh... I'm definitely going to be doing a, a focus a show, uh, not a showcase. I'll be, uh, I'll be talking a lot about Jamal Fanaka and the, the films that he made that episode so check that out in the near future in the coming weeks yeah welcome over the charles that has a That's... boy that has a reveal that would make Shyamalan faint <laughs> yeah that is quite quite a movie i i don't know if i like it but man that's quite a movie <laughs> that's how i felt too <laughs> uh, alexandra do you know what we're talking about I heard M. Night Shyamalan, and that was enough for me to know. <laughs> uh, Welcome Home, Brother Charles is about a, uh, I'll just give you the quick version. It's about a guy who is wrongfully incarcerated, serves a bunch of time, and when he gets out, he goes after the people responsible. That that old chestnut. Oh. Uh, what the reveal is, uh, you know, folks at home who don't want this spoiled, plug your ears, uh, is that uh, Brother Charles has um, a magic growing penis. Okay. <laughs> and he... <laughs> takes people out with that it's playing off of the uh the trope of uh white men fearing uh black men taking their women because they all have giant penises i see that okay that, that's uh i was not expecting any of that but uh, okay <laughs> it's not like presented as as wacky of a film as that would sound on paper okay like it's a fairly serious movie until the ending and you reveal what he's been using to kill people <laughs> oh my god it's, it's a it's a real first movie <laughs> yeah it, it was a student film that jamal fanaka did when he was at ucla and uh what a what a debut wait wait say that again he's he goes to uh, ucla he went to ucla yeah, yeah. uh jamal fanaka was the uh kind of the most prominent m- member of what it was called the la rebellion yes i'm at, i'm studying at ucla so the name sounded very familiar oh like, so you yeah. yeah, you know about this stuff, but then. not that, not that movie. Oh, yeah, definitely yeah. take a look through his filmography. That's that was his first movie that he made at UCLA. They didn't say that here, so now I gotta look into it. <laughs> <laughs> Lord, yeah, talking about LA Rebellion, um, plus uh, plus the Little Hearts is a must see. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and um, anything Julie Dash touched. Yeah, we know we talk about her a lot here. Yeah, she's we're good a with teacher that. at. I actually, I actually saw she, her. Uh, she gave a short talk at the Hammer Museum um, a couple months ago. Um, she oh, we nice. showed uh, Daughters of the Dust, and uh, I saw Illusions at at UCLA, but it was uh, one of her other short films in uh, sixteen millimeter. And she gave hmm. a short talk on via Zoom, so that was very interesting to hear her like her film process and her process, especially working on um, Daughters of the Dust. So yeah, she's pretty fascinating. That's her. cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's a much bigger career than what she got. I, mean, I think that's true I of think, the entire LA Rebellion. Yeah. I think it was her, and, uh, Fanaka, and like 
of but, Charles Burnett well, she, the only one she got to make multiple movies mm-hmm. and that's kind of it and Fanaka ultimately got blacklisted uh, for mm-hmm. trying to oppose the uh, the racist norms of, uh, of Hollywood mm-hmm. and she did explain that the LA Rebellion was more than just you know black artists and you know talking about racism and all that I think that she tried to explain that that's the impression that we get when we hear LA Rebellion, but it was actually a lot of directors of uh, people of color as part of that group as well. Yeah. Yeah, she just really wanted to make that very clear to all of us. <laughs> I'd heard interviews talking about that too, that like it's remembered as a black movement, but mm-hmm. there were Asian filmmakers and Native yeah. American filmmakers and just and even, even a couple of white filmmakers were part of that. Yeah. yeah. It was really more about trying to uh, change the perspective that films were doing at the time, more so than it being about specific right uh specifically black filmmakers but more about just the way that we present stories at the time yeah fascinating a, stuff listeners at home yeah. if you if you get a chance like look up the la rebellion and read up on that because like that's a really that's a, a portion of film history that needs to be talked about more it does yeah and uh, charles burnett has been on zebras in america the marcus penn podcast marcus penn and scott thorough podcast i believe three times so they're they're kind of friends with charles burnett at this point <laughs> cool yeah he is incredibly chill and nice and it's like hearing him talk is it's like i want to hear him talk about everything <laughs> he, he's exactly the person he would i was hoping he would be <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah so um wait alexander so did you sit wait did you say you have stuff i forgot we kind of went off <laughs> <laughs> talked about like a a, a large magical <laughs> penis there and i'm like oh th- 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 yeah. i mean that it's a conversation starter so you know um it's better than what i'm doing right now but really i'm just no i had i don't have much happening right now except for me um like i said i'm in ucla and i'm studying um, cinematography so all my weekends are literally booked back to back and we are filming every single weekend until june so um, yeah so that's mainly my main focus um i don't really plan on probably i'll probably might do some writing over the summer though i have some ideas I was like kind of lurking upon okay. and especially as part of my thesis I kind of want to get back into writing about hauntology and folk horror again so yeah, I'm, I'm yeah so uh, and you'll return in probably August yes maybe September for Footlight Parade another pre yeah, pre-code musical you know what if you have not said pre-code and I actually felt the same way about mm-hmm. Madame Satan when I hear those titles I think they're like 70s or 80s cult movies because they're so out there and i'm like i have never heard of that i, I... it's so that's funny alexandria because there is a 1970 madam satan that's about like you know drug orgies and occult stuff so it's <laughs> like you nailed that there is one i had to find that too <laughs> yeah like these I'll... these titles are pre-code titles are wild <laughs> like jesus <laughs> if they're not gangster movies if they don't have clara bow or Marlene Dietrich or not in Jeopardy Expressionist, I'm like, dang, these titles can be very mistaken for something from the seventies. <laughs> and it's just it trips me up every time. So yeah, Spencer, if you if you don't say pre code, I'm like, Yeah, okay. <laughs> um uh, it's the person who 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 recommended it is Patrick uh from uh Tracks of the Damned. Mm-hmm. And like he gave me a, a a list of like uh Hollywood musicals and he is and he said this one has Buzzy Berkeley co-directed or something mm-hmm. 
but because Patrick picked it, it's like, okay, well, I, I trust his, his opinion and his, uh, his, his taste. So it, there has to be, there, there will be something going on with it if Patrick picked it, hopefully. And it stars James Cagney, so I'm already intrigued. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. You'll be back, Bobby. I don't know. You'll be back for something. Yeah, yeah. He always comes back eventually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. You guys, thank you for your time. And uh, thank you, thank you. You're welcome. And uh, you can find the show on Twitter and Podbean and other places. Nigerian hair, my criteria compared to your career just isn't fair I'm a venereal disease, like a menstrual bleed Through the pencil and leak on the sheet of the tablet in my mind Cause I don't write shit, cause I ain't got time Cause my second minutes, I was go to the almighty dollar in the almighty power of that ch-ch-ch-chopper Sister, brother, son, daughter, father, motherfucker Our theme music is by James Fell our logo is by Andrew Bargeron. You can find him as Jemetsko on Threadless, TeePublic, Redbubble, Shirt Woot Catalog, and T-Theory. That is spelled G-I-M-E-T-Z-C-O. You can find our show in previous seasons on Podbean, Spotify, Google Play, and other places where you can find podcasts.